Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your hosts, Dr. Chrissy Rankin, physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy. And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist, certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher. We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combining modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey. Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Well, it's been a little while, but in yeah. the last podcast or so, we talked about um, that. I told that story about the man who realized he could write his own script of his mm-hmm. life. And uh, so we thought we would talk about what's the scripts of our life. So I went looking and of course people have written books about life scripts and by definition, it's a set of childhood decisions made unconsciously by a person in response to parental messages of self, others and the world. And I would argue nowadays you have to say that those influences, those messages come not just from parents, Oh, absolutely. Voice of parents is often drowned out by social media or whatever kids are being exposed to. A lot of extra voice. And I think also the systematic or the systems that we live in too um, also, I think, subconsciously create those environments too where depending on where you live, where you're from, your family's history, um, social economic status, um, religion, I think all of that, um, the systems that we're a part of also contribute to that. Yeah. I think, though, it's interesting that the definition that you found is, like, just pertaining to what happens in our childhood subconsciously leads to... Uh, that our script of our life, and yet there's no 
like no option that you can change your scripts um at when you become conscious and more aware and more um independent um as you get older or something like that well and when i thought about the question of what are my life scripts too i i i think there's even when you grow up and rewrite the script you're still living a script and you i uh i i thought there there these scripts are daily seasonal uh they reflect life seasons. Um, they're situational, like something can trigger a pattern of behavior and conversation. Mm-hmm. So you have the same conversation over and over again. Oh, Shona's going to jump in and join us soon. Yep. So, yeah, babies write the script sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> those around you well and I was thinking a lot of these scripts are unconscious so you know we're just like throwing out all these ideas we can pick them apart but the the unconscious ones they also include like our makeup Mm, like genetic makeup yeah or and genetic doshic DNA what did you inherit through your family um, if somebody has a a belief of past lives, you know, what, what are you bringing forward? But of course, because I've been spending so much time in Ayurveda, it would have been helpful to understand my doshic makeup and what, so that it didn't drive me. Like when we aren't aware of what these things are, they drive us. Yeah. Interesting too how I think a lot of people in their 20s and 30s is when they start asking these questions of like, why do I act this way when this happens? Or why do I, um, and, and sometimes they're, um, they feel good and other times they don't feel good. And so then you're trying to figure out, well, why do I act the way that I do? Um, and then usually the ones that you don't feel good about, like, I scream and yell when this happens, or I tend to have pain when this happens. And that's when we kind of start searching, oh, well, the subconscious things that I've been inherited or that I've was around when I was growing up. Um, oh, it's like this call and response almost, you know, it's <laughs> subconscious. And then when you start realizing, oh, like, it, it, it does go back to when I was five years old, you know, um, and then all the way through. Um, I mean, you could even potentially argue that we're not necessarily fully conscious until we're 25, right? With what our brain isn't fully developed. And I'm using quotes, you know, the brain mm-hmm. isn't fully developed till we're 25. Um, and I never think about my own story about you know, when I really bought into and found the right people to help with my mental health journey was around, you know, 27, you know, 26, 27 years old. Um, and, uh, and learning a lot about that. And, and it continues. Yeah, absolutely. Because, uh, you know, 
Man, I don't have a lot of words right now, but the, you know, evaluating being a child, um, you have to get away from childhood. So you evaluate it in your 20s and then you do it again in your 30s and then in your 40s. And, you know, because of what is happening in your life at those different stages. And it's too, when you open up the possibilities of exploring our past and exploring the subconscious, what can come up. Cause I, um, was talking to a, a, a person in their fifties who like had a repressed memory come up and they had, they truly did not remember this situation happening and it was unprovoked. It wasn't like they were in a, in a therapy session and the therapist was like, egging them on like that wasn't happening it literally was she was sitting at her kitchen counter one day and all of a sudden was like oh I think this happened to me um and it's amazing that when you open up those possibilities um then we can start getting we can shed those layers more and more as we get through yeah so I what I hear you saying is we need to become conscious uh, of uh, of these scripts that we're running oh, in yeah. order to grow. That's a great and, way to tie it back into it. Yeah. Uh, th- this uh, weekend in a yoga class, I the teacher used this idea of, well, co- cognition versus consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so the scripts to me are the cognition or the thought patterns that are running constantly and we don't hear them. Mm-hmm. And then we can become conscious of them. We can start to hear them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is possible in every cell of our being to become conscious and that's where I feel like the body is a tool to become enlightened, to become fully conscious and find, you know, uh, it's just an endless journey. It can fill a whole life becoming aware of all these hidden um, stories that lie in our body and truly can be you know, go back for generations because of DNA. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, that right there is the DNA molecules and helixes are also the script of life. I mean, mm-hmm. stories, it holds memories, it holds, I mean, and I'm not being woo-woo here. Like, epigenetics, I think, changed the game of especially how I think our clinic and therapists like treats because we do understand our past experiences, not only us, but our families provide us. Um, And if for people who don't know epigenetics is, it's just the, it's the study of how we pass down genes um, and experiences with between generations um, and it started really being talked about when um, the descendants of P- 
people who survived at the Holocaust would have um, more significant um, diagnoses um, as they were living through life, despite not experiencing any um, any of those actual traumas of the Holocaust themselves. And so that's kind of where it started. And then um, the the research has just exploded the past, you know, 20, 30 years. So um, it's it, it helps make, kind of put all the pieces together. That's for sure. It, an epigenetics is a very complicated topic and oh yeah, difficult to write. <laughs> of here that's for sure yeah i think a simple explanation for me is that it it says that i can change Mm. the outcome Uh, genetics are not inevitability yeah like yeah and that's the other side of that too like the expressions of the genes are based off of like the environment that we are in both internally, physiologically, and externally as well. Yeah. We'll pop in and say hi. I'm here. Hi. I can't hi. the camera to work because my computer's from 2012 and I need a new one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. This is a fascinating topic. Yes. Um, so we welcome your voice to the discussion of the the deep layers of um, the, the scripts that drive our life. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, well, you know, we did say, what are, what are ours personally? Mm-hmm. And I, I can start, cause you know, like a child of the fifties, 1950s. Right. And, the, and then, growing up in the sixties. Um, so that was right on that cusp of the ideal family has a mom and dad and kids and everybody's really smart mm-hmm. <laughs> above average. Um, and, uh, and so that was my model, you know, like to live my life well was going to be to, um, go to college and get married and have kids and, and have a job and have kids be not just be home because that was the sixties was, you know, women, women were coming uh, into their power more. Um, And I mean, that was, those were my goals. That's what I strove for. I guess it, it makes me think like there's many scripts in play. Like you're, um, you're talking about sort of the cultural and time-based uh, models that you're born into. Mm-hmm. And then you have your own, your own life and your own intuitive way or path. And then, so then how do you like live what you're meant to do in this life sort of within the models that we're, we're born into. Yeah. That makes me think of. Well, so I, I think I've said I am a recovering alcoholic. I got sober in 2003 and um, 
around that time, I asked my parents, so what's the history of our family that you don't tell? (laughs) Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) I mean, not, and you, like, what a, like, triple whammy of, like, being from the Midwest in the decades that you lived and, like, rich Catholic uh, Mm -hmm. life, like, those are questions you don't ask. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it turns out that my dad's grandpa hung himself. Mm. And, you know, back then suicide was just shameful and you didn't talk about it. And, and he was an alcoholic. And so this, this pattern ran in the family, this script. My dad was very much, a quintessential codependent um, took on took on people even in business that had this guy that had a drinking problem and helped him be successful and carried him through his career and complained about it the whole time <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know so this drama triangle that's where I became in my you know, my process of getting well and going through a lot of counseling was realizing the drama triangle, victim, persecutor, rescuer, and that that's a dysfunctional pattern of communication. It's a script of, uh, and we run it and I see my, my grandkids even pick it up. It's just, but the drama triangle is everywhere. The drama triangle is in healthcare. It's in government. It's how countries relate to each other often. Um, That's so true. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like malicious, right? It can, you know, in my own experiences, like, um, I, I was the rescuer and like the buffer for like my family when we were around like my grandparents and it was like, cause they're such like persecutors and my, and I cannot, I cannot diagnose this. <laughs> right. And my grandmother will never, ever, ever, ever even go like talk about mental health and with the little bit of reading that I've done about it I pretty sure she is she would be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and narcissism in women it looks very different than narcissism in men Mm -hmm. and how much like she would pick on my dad and and my mom and how like I would like oh, look at me here so that you can stop picking on them kind of a thing, right? Um, And I'm an only child, so, like, you know, I absorbed it all. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's where that, like, my people-pleasing would come in and my, like, my need for validation to know that I'm doing the right thing um, would come in and that cycle of just, like, continuation all the time. And so um, I've actually have made a conscious effort to just not, and actually like not really have a relationship with my grandparents anymore. It's, 
it's not fair. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to my parents. It's not fair to them um, that that cycle of abuse can continue. And um, I, and it's sad because like, you know, how rare is it for someone in their thirties to still have their grandparents? And um, I just, it's not healthy for anybody. And so it is what it is. Well, and it may come a time where you can, um, I, for a long time, I had a hard time being around my parents. In fact, one conversation, um, it was a very hard conversation with my parents. We always fight when I go home. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one time, my dad said to me, Sarah, why do you come home if you don't like us? Well, yep. that makes me sad just thinking about it because <laughs> he was right. So if I'm going to go home and criticize, why am I there? Yep. And uh, mm-hmm. and uh, so I worked a lot on myself and, and, and going home was always a chance to see how well I was where was I on my own journey? You know, not well, how well I was doing because it's a process of, of letting go of the, the things that set you up, you know, how I get looped back into the script is -hmm. what's happening. Mm -hmm. And instead of just being there and loving and appreciating them in all their foibles. And, uh, um, I was so grateful that I, you know, in the last decade of their life, probably, I, I just loved them. And I didn't care about all those, um, those things that ran the script, the victim, persecutor, rescuer script. And I could, uh, so it took, it took two decades <laughs> of once I realized what was going on to work on myself enough that those I could be around them and not get pulled in. So I hope that for you, that someday you'll you'll be there f- for them because um, you know it, we we just we have our our weaknesses. Uh, it reminds me of something Ram Dass said. He's like, if you think if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. <laughs> true. It's so true. It's like, I do feel like that's where, I mean, we're just, that's what we're boarded to. Those are the, like, um, the dynamics that we grow up with. And it's so, we get so entrenched in the drama of our family. And then I think it seems like, okay, now I'm in my thirties and it's only now sort of just becoming clear, like some of the dynamics of my family and how that shaped me and where I get triggered and, I don't know. It takes like a lot of awareness and effort to work through some of that. Like sometimes like it seems like a lifetime <laughs> um, oh, yeah. it makes it easier if everyone in the family is willing to do the work. But if, you know, it sounds like sometimes people in the family aren't willing to do the work and then that makes it harder. And we question like, why am I even trying? <laughs> um, the narcissists aren't gonna, Oh yeah. That's that's the that is so sad to me. And and I also have compassion and grace like for my grandmother because she had significant trauma in her life too. And it was it wasn't it and it was like not the typical, you know, like what what we think of as abuse and you know, 
was she born to be a narcissist and then, you know, and then it just like, you know, snowballed or did the abuse that she had like kind of morph that, you know, I mean, we don't know. And here's that epigenetics conversation coming back up. Right. Um, And we, we don't know. And so I still have compassion and grace of knowing where she's coming from and when we are happen to be around each other, I just don't engage in yeah. her her conversations. And I'm so much better at that. When I was in my early twenties, oh my gosh. It was yeah. like, I'm just gonna fight because I wanna fight. And now it's like, what am I doing? <laughs> I used to do that too. You gotta like rebel first to be like it went out yeah. on the like what is going on here? That's probably what that is. Yeah. And and then it's like okay, so he's like breathe and sort of become clear on the the dynamics that are going on and how do we heal from this or how do I stay sane? (laughs) Well, and there's compat, you've had compassion and grace for yourself by taking, not forcing yourself to be around them, you know, taking the time that you need to, to, to to heal. Yeah. Yeah. and they, they get that distance instead of being triggered all the time. I would go and visit my family every other year <laughs> for a long time. And now I think, wow, that is a, a that would be a long time to not see my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, two years. Wow. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think that is a testament to of the different relationship that you have with your children, right? You know, from what you learned from being a child of your parents, like you wanted that relationship to look different with your children. And so whether it was conscious or subconscious, the relationship you created, you know, you was able to be able to be around them and then want to be around you, you know, the same thing more often, which is that healing process. That is a a good point because I think I took the script and I did want to live something different. So I changed the script for uh, a long time there. We'd go visit our kids in Seattle monthly. I can't, I can't muster that anymore, but uh, you know, like we just went on a two week vacation uh, with my, you know, with my one son and the other son was there for a week. And right before that, we went to see my other son. It just becomes a kind of a, a main hobby is to try and connect with them and to be their friends that were I deliberately said, I, I've raised them. I'm done being their parents. They don't, they don't need my advice, you know, unless they want it. And just to enjoy spending time and making memories. That's, I think that's my script, make memories. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. That's all we have in that of of each other in the end you know is there anything that you consciously tried to um change like based on how you were raised and then when you had kids you thought oh i'm gonna do this differently um well you know as an adult child of an alcoholic my mother was a very heavy drinker and um even in her 80s she's no longer with us i think i can tell these stories (laughs) she (laughs) They were buying vodka by the case. Wow. One day I, we, we got, so 
um, I, we, my sisters and I, we'd call our mom in the morning because by nighttime she was just not, you couldn't talk to her on the phone. It was just frustrating. And um, so one Sunday I call, I think it was around noon and, um, and they would, they would go to Florida in the, in the winters. And that was, it was worse there because I don't think they had as many uh, friends around. And so she would do more drinking. So anyway, it's Sunday and this is before cell phones and everything like, and my dad says, Oh, your mom is out paying the credit card bill. <laughs> well, is that code for she's not able to talk right now? Uh, no, I think she was really out and she was at the bar. Oh, <laughs> in her eighties. In and wow. at that point I was like more power to her. If she can drink like that, in her 80s but see my dad believed her that was the thing oh, oh. God, okay, now I get it <laughs> he thought she was really out playing the credit card bill but you know there's no store there's no bill pay things open Sundays <laughs> yeah. uh, so oh man where am I going with that oh, uh, you wanted to do differently like with yeah kids <laughs> Um, yeah, so adult children of alcoholics think they're going to do it better. Well, I can do better than that. And so what happens is you treat your kids like they need to be perfect. So they can, you, they're a demonstration of, see, I can do it better. Wow. And you screw up your kids. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I think that's inevitable, right? <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> how aware it's like oh now I'm there's something always missing right yeah you know parenting is hard and you're gonna mess your kids up it's just (laughs) when when my oldest son got married like he was he is really good with kids and he he did this thing uh for a few summers called jesse camp and he would um, do care, day, daycare for kids in the summer. And he, like, they did a lemonade stand at the top of Mount Sai. He was so creative and did really neat things with these kids. And at his wedding, these parents were there and they'd ask us, how did you raise this wonderful kid? And we're like, well, you know, uh, we just, uh, you know, try not to screw him up too bad. He just didn't. You know, he's, we, we are the way we are. Um, he's just a, that kind of a person. And uh, I, yeah, I think we probably gave him more um, neuroses than, than helped. <laughs> I forget what, is he your youngest or your oldest? He's my oldest. Your oldest, okay. So, um well, and they're all really neat people, and I think oh, yeah. it's just, uh, um, you, I guess what comes, he would argue with me on these things, because he goes, you know, growing up was a lot better than I painted, um, and that he has a lot of good memories of us, hmm. uh, and I think what he remembers is us, like, doing things like rafting with his dad, or going for bike rides, or know that again that building memories yeah and not always just like go 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 like doing like doing school working and yeah getting checklists of things that we get caught up with yeah 
yeah yeah it is weird having a it's funny just having a baby and having those thoughts of like like oh man just how do you not just like mess up your kid in some way <laughs> and well, yeah like there's but, something gonna happen that is gonna trigger them in some way and they're gonna have to work on it when they're an adult and but I guess we just try to let their light and like being shine through and support that as much as possible give them yeah and give them good grounding like I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that was important to me when my kids were growing up is that we stayed in the same place Mm -hmm. Um, well you know we moved we moved once um but then once we were in Salt Lake City we were there until um the oldest was 18 and Mm, wow yeah I I think so it was actually harder on the younger guys that we moved them, but that staying in one place, having them have, you know, one, one school or this extended experience of uh, connection. Although even that was hard because neighbors would come and go. Um, Mm -hmm. That constant, that constant change. Um, That was important to me, but boy, I think raising kids today has got to be difficult. Yeah. Raising kids is difficult. It seems a lot more vata, like imbalanced the world today. Everyone's moving, shifting, doing. It's a little, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, yeah. (laughs) But I agree that grounding seems just innate, intuitively important. Um, And I suppose it's what you're grounded in too. Like for me, I was like location. Okay. That's going to be grounding, but maybe it's, mm -hmm. you know, for some people it's, it's a faith Mm -hmm. Um, or ethics and morals. I think um, that was an important script in my family was my dad had rules to live by and he lived them. He was such a great example of that, Um, you know, uh, being honest, having integrity, uh, doing, doing, doing what he said he would do. um, Yeah. You know, being um, a good steward of what he was given. Yeah, that's a good point. I think too, just being grounded in, in family. Like, I think that, was a big thing for me growing a positive for me growing up was that we had like our unit of four and Mm -hmm. we did stay in New York for the most part after I was seven so I did have sort of the location grounding as well but I even more important I feel like like our unit of four could be anywhere be doing anything but it's like we had each other and like I was lucky that my parents stayed together and like we're still, I think that was very important for my parents was just like a solid, like they were meant to be parents, like, and they were, that was their, um, life's work. And, um, so I feel fortunate for that. Cause I know that can be very ungrounding for kids too, with like family, uh, divorces and, um, mm-hmm. 
drama around the yeah well and one of the i think one of the scripts that probably we all share is the importance of education that you get your education yeah um yeah then you kind of it gives you a a bit of direction i guess mm -hmm. oh i know i'm going to go through high school and then college and um get my degree that's so you're grounded in it does ground you in your in society then <laughs> mm -hmm. and um i'm so glad to have a profession too yeah. like that's something that's a career mm -hmm. um, yeah i definitely i mean it's interesting i've thought about that in terms of what we do and being because we're more holistic um you know, not as traditional physical therapy, but having that degree, that doctorate um, or master's is like, okay, we have that base, that foundation, and then we can grow and be who we want to be um, from there. Mm -hmm. I always appreciated that versus like not having a degree and trying to do holistic work without it does seem a bit more ungrounded and difficult. Um, so. Yeah. Um, this is kind of divergent from, uh, but within the same theme, um, as we discuss these scripts, you know, how our scripts affect our health. Mm. Um, and so like one, when I was growing up, doctors were seen as supreme and all knowing, and you do what the doctor tells you to do. Um, and uh, what they did was the, just the be all end all. And I, I think we, we see that today in people coming in, expecting you to do something for them to make it all better. Mm -hmm. And that's not our message. Our message is the power of you being well lies in your hands lar largely. Um, and then, and then what medicine has to offer can help. What we have to offer can help, help you on that path, but it ultimately lands with you. And I shared this with, with Chrissy last week, um, just a, a, a patient who wrote me and is just an illustration of this, how when you change your script, you can change your life. Um, mm -hmm. And this person saw me for a couple of years, combination of manual therapy, but the education that we do around how to develop the skills of self-care and, and such. Um, and then he um, stopped coming in and has been working on his own. And um, uh, we touched base with each other and he grabbed hold of what I, what I had given him and what we had given him. Cause he didn't just see me. And, um, and he's using those things and getting better and better. And this thing that he wrote just made me so happy uh, because he rewrote his script. Mm -hmm. He's, he said, it's wild to meditate on the change in perspective that's required for real healing. We go in as passive participants, but
But if you follow the trail and embrace the epiphanies as they come, you reach a point that doesn't see mind and body as separate. Instead, it becomes quite clear to what extent the mind can influence the body. Maintain focus in the right direction and the body follows. Wow. <laughs> and it's so fascinating because like, I, I never treated that person, but I saw him come through the clinic and like hearing that in my previous vision of what he looked like before, like are two separate people and how, what a metamorphosis, like just fascinating. I'm still, I would love to see him now, like, to see if his posture has changed, right? To see the color in his face change. Um, I, yeah, that would, and he put that so beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked about that experiment before, maybe that they did with um, people. I can't remember their ages. Maybe they were in their eighties or something. And then they put them um, in a scene they like built these houses and decorated them like the seventies when they were teenagers or in their Mm twenties. And these older people lived there for a week or so. Um, And because their mindset was like set back to when they were younger, they actually had like pretty amazing gains in physical ability and in um, mental, emotional health. And like, it was pretty miraculous. So it just goes to show like this, when you change your mind, you change your, your body and your health. And the, and the scripts that we write about our health are important to look at. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. If we don't. So I, I do think it's a place that we work with our patients and, and because we've worked on our own selves with them too. I think all of us have. Yeah examined uh, these these drivers in our life well what scripts do you live by today (laughs) I think mine centers around one of my I've been saying a lot lately too one of my favorite quotes and I'm not a quote like I I'm I'm much more of a tactile person so remembering quotes from people is difficult for me Um, the one though that really has been a driver for me lately is from Brene Brown when she's like, we're all doing the best we can with what we have. Mm-hmm. And I think if I approach people, no matter if I know them, or if I don't know them with that mindset, then I have so much more compassion and grace for people to meet them where they're at. And, um, how much more that helps me as a, my own person. Um, and, and so that I don't get triggered. I don't get upset. I don't get um, all the negative things that we might um, associate with um, not feeling grounded um, and promotes more of calm and reflection and, um, and so that has been a big driver in my and my script right now um, has been big for me. Um, 
my script. Oh man. <laughs> I think that I went, I've been through like a major shift in my script. Like I think that for a while until maybe I moved a couple years ago was, you know, I was very driven, like achievement oriented, um, uh, go to school, like get the degree, go work. And then, but then I did have a, a script of, you know, being m more of a, I think working for Therapy Solutions helped me discover that innate, like, uh, wish to want to be a more holistic practitioner. Um, and then, and then moving and then having a baby is sort of like, oh, wow, now my script has changed to like, okay, my, I'm a mom now. And what does that mean? <laughs> and, um, how do I raise a kid and, um, be, I don't know. I think I'm, it's like, it's, it's like a weird, hard question for me right now. Cause I think I'm sort of in the midst of yeah big transition. So I don't really know how to like put it into words, maybe cause I'm still discovering what my script is now. I went through like, I mean, I could define it in many ways. I went through a huge like astrological shift too. I did my Vedic chart and there's just like a lot of change that just happened and I'm sort of on the other end of it now. Um, maybe this is my opportunity to make some edits or like rev revise or rewrite a script going forward. Uh, yeah, well, and maybe it's easier. Well, so it's easier to look into someone else's life. And I look at how you've taken on motherhood and uh, given yourself fully to it. Uh, is that a script? Like just, you, you know, yeah. embrace the job before you a hundred percent and do it to the best of your ability. That's your, is that the script? That's true. Wait, that's so, I really resonate with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, like, take what I like find something or I'm looking for something. I do like go 120% like on it. Um, I really, and I enjoy that. I enjoy like deep diving into something and almost sometimes to, my detriment of getting like burnt out or exhausted, but, um, but overall I do. Yeah. I, I do like to just really dive deep and find meaning and like have a beautiful, like deep experience with what's what I'm doing. What's right in front of me. It's hard to put these things just into a sentence or, 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 and I, th I think where I am right now, and I made the decision about 10 years ago, which is like, I need to leave a legacy. I need to share what I've learned. And then recently it's like, and I, I can't stop learning. Like, it's not good for me to not be learning new things. So it's like learn and share. So collaboration and relationship are really important to me because in the contrast of you and me, I learn more about myself and um, which it may be selfish, but uh, <laughs> it always comes back to what, uh, to that. What do we get out of something? And I'm trying to be more, um, you know, where, where it's less about me and it's more about the greater good. Um, what is what? Like what, what is my soul's journey 
and how does this serve my soul, whatever it is I'm doing. Um, and it, it, it's just, it just feels it's like in such contrast to um, at least business, you know, at least doing business. It seems to have taken a, a different script. So when your script doesn't match the standard script, <laughs> it's uh makes it a little rougher. Yeah, I think right now too, I'm having a mindset shift a mindset shift too of um not being the people pleaser and not being the savior and what am I doing for myself? And it's like sometimes we get this negative connotation of like selfishness and as a bad thing. And I think when the intention behind being selfish is about manipulation of other people or about hurting others to get what you want, that's when selfishness is definitely not, not in the best intention that we can have. Mm-hmm. But I think if we think about selfishness as in like, I'm going to be able to take care of myself as best as I can while uplifting the other people around me um, and being the champion of the underdog um, so that I can be able to do that. I think that's definitely a different way to look at it too. And I feel like I'm kind of getting into that, into that right now. Like, Oh, I've been neglecting myself for so long. Um, Cause I am, I'm kind of like Shona too, where um, that like deep dive, like I'm going to give a hundred percent no matter what, um, when I find something that I want to do and I'm, have been very successful, like on paper, been very successful, right. Um, With what people would consider to be success. Um, But I also feel like I'm becoming more of like the all or nothing person and doing more of nothing than all. Um, because I've done it. I've done a lot. I've done it all. Like I've done so much. And you're like, at one point I'm like, I can't keep this up. You know, like I can't, it's not sustainable long-term. And so I do feel like I'm doing more of the nothing, <laughs> which is actually kind of, um, which might sound selfish because I am putting myself more, and saying no more and like putting myself first um, and, and hopes that it turn returns back into giving, you know, what I can to other people. I think that's so important. You know, when it comes to the manual learning manual therapies, I'll use that as an example. Um, I've known people who they learn about a technique and they're, they want to know it and they throw themselves in and take those classes as fast as they can. And they, it doesn't get integrated into their tissue. It becomes head knowledge and they can't dive deep with what they've been given. Like for me, it comes back to that soul's journey. What I mean by that, I can take something I've learned, bring it into my being and have it transform me into something more of the person I want to be, which is happier, healthier, um, at more at peace. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's an important part of the growth process to have these periods and sometimes very long periods 
of what appears to be doing nothing, but there's all this happening underneath. And one of uh, the best examples I can think of is Hillary Cartwright. So she, um, she was there in the beginning of the gyrotonic method, sort of the muse to Julia Horvath. Um, they went their separate ways and she does her own thing called yoga Narada. And this woman, it, she's amazing uh, example of this allowing space. So she'll teach a workshop and I went all the way to Costa Rica, right? That's like a big investment. We would we would um, do the yoga three hours a day and the rest of the day was sightseeing mm-hmm. and just enjoy and take it easy. Uh, but if you look at her, um, because of her dance career, she ended up with two hip replacements. She has more hip motion mm-hmm. than most, most people with her hip replacements. She's so functional and, and she has this natural healing ability that has come through her. Uh, uh, you know, so she's a, just a, a living example of what it means to stir the pot and then let it sit and let it stew. And uh, I'm glad you're taking that time. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the first time really, well, it's the first time ever that I think of that I'm, I'm actually putting myself first in the way of what we're talking about here. Um, I've put myself first in other ways of like creating the stepping stones to like get where I want. Right. Um, And that everything had a plan and everything had um, a, I'm doing this to to get to this. Right. And, And now it's like, I love how you talked about the integration portion and how um, that is kind of the shadow side of higher education is and that higher achievement is we never allow time for the integration portion. And um, I've never thought of it that way of not only do we need to know the head knowledge, but we also need to feel it and we need to embrace it in a deeper level. Um, And that takes time. It takes um, takes uh, you need to take the headspace away and be okay with feeling. Yeah, and that and that goes back to understanding our makeup. I think one thing that the three of us have in common is that very we're very driven in the dosha world. We're very, very pitta. We've got pitta going, oh, and, yeah. um, strongly. And if we know that know that about our nature, we can temper it, mm-hmm. and it's. I think one of the best ways to do that is to give it the time and space for everything you learned to sift in. Um, And, and I, yeah, Iyengar, there was this quote I heard this weekend uh, from BKS Iyengar about being like a deer in the forest where every cell of the body is vibrant and alive. And something about that image just hit me. And to feel my own body, where do I feel vibrant and alive? Even as I talk about this right now, it all feels like the front of my body. I don't feel the back of my body mm-hmm. as as lively. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would it be like to be that deer and 
just being bathed in beautiful light and on a, a day of perfect temperature, you know, with a breeze and feel every cell of my body alive. Um, I don't know how I got to that, but I think that ultimately that's the goal. I mean, that's the script I'm working on now is uh, I've been given this tool called a body with all its complexity and it's the game. And the end goal of this game is uh, to be that deer in the forest, vibrant and alive, experiencing the world around me with every cell of my being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and if we get stuck in our head, which in our profession so easy to do, there's no end to learning, um, we'll miss out. So, well, I hope the people listening will take time to figure out what some of their scripts are mm -hmm. yeah. and what they want to be running. Yep. And I think what's important to know too, like we've been with our softball girls this past weekend of like, if you're, if you're wondering why you aren't getting the results that you want, that you're wanting or, um, doing something over and over and over again, expecting different results, mm -hmm. then we need to reflect about what can we be doing differently as an individual and not what other people can do for us. And that can be that shift when we take that uh, lotus of control, like our focus of, you know, back onto oh, us. Yeah. Um, and not, um, the intrinsic, right, and not the extrinsic, um, how that shift can really change and grab, you know, and integrate. <laughs> I think that's a great word. I'm coming back to it a lot. Yeah. I'm so grateful for you and Shona and the, just the team of people that we work with, that they're, you're willing to be part of this sort of experiment that we have at the clinic to to relate with each other in our, in our work. And, um, that's, that's been a deliberately chosen script mm -hmm. that it's maybe it's, it definitely has its challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, when we come to share patients and, and, um, we have to communicate more. I'm grateful for you to take that ride with, with me. Perfect. I think that's a that's a good ending. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a fun topic today. Yeah, that was. It's been a while since we've done like a. Not only are we talking about like a script of our life, but just a check in, and yeah. and this was definitely like a nice check in. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our group tends to have these fantastic discussions, and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now, here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions PLLC. That PLLC is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast, where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.